This is Lisa Miller and Associates, Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. Now, here's Lisa Miller. Welcome, friends, and Happy New Year. One lawmaker describes Florida's property insurance market as rapidly declining and as the most underreported issue going into the 2020 state legislative session. The comments recently made by State Senator Jeff Brandis follow several interventions by insurance regulators this past year, including two companies' liquidations. Other carriers are seeking double-digit rate increases due to increased litigation and hurricane loss creep, which leads to rising reinsurance costs. And then there's automobile assignment of benefits abuse. We'll talk more about that and a series of other relevant issues today being teed up by the Florida legislature as it begins its 60-day session, January 14th. Joining us is Jim Saunders, executive editor of the News Service of Florida. Jim is a 20-plus year veteran of the Capitol Press Corps here in Tallahassee and does a great job letting readers know what's up in the Capitol. Jim, welcome to the Florida Insurance Roundup. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. You know, I think we should start, and this is going to be more of a free-flowing discussion for our listeners today. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the property insurance market. And Jim, you were around past 20 years uh, working over in the Volusia County area. Um, you followed property insurance. You have insurance. Um, you know, what do you think the, the reporter core, those that are following the issues in the state, what is y'all's sense about the property insurance market? Do you think it's going to be paid attention to? Do you not? What are your thoughts? Well, you know, it's sort of interesting recently. I, I saw the filing for Edison uh, Insurance Company, which was more than 20%. And it kind of it caught my eye, uh, partly because it made me think back to after 04, 05, 06, and that, that time frame when when things were just going crazy in the market. And, you know, there was all this turmoil. And you know, I, I'm not saying that's what's happening now, but but when you see a, a, a filing like that, it, it it does catch your attention. We were fortunate in the state to go about what ten years without any hurricanes at all, and then these past few years have been uh, pretty destructive with Irma, uh, Michael, and then some smaller storms. So you know, and once hurricanes hit, it seems like that sort of creates all sorts of effects in the market. Uh, you know, obviously litigation's an issue. Uh, and as you indicated, reinsurance has always been a big issue in Florida. I mean, it, it goes all the way back, I think, to Andrew days, yes, right? I mean, in terms of, of the significance of that issue for for the market. So uh, I also saw Brandis's uh, tweet about the lack of coverage of it and, and uh, being underreported. And it, it, it also uh, raised my eyebrows mm-hmm. a little bit thinking uh, that this is something we really need to, to get up to speed on because it's not just a business issue. It affects me, you, everybody else who owns a home, if nothing else. That's so true. And I, I wonder if so often legislators hear the word insurance and they run the other way because it can be complicated, but yet it's very real when you get your premium renewals and those those costs have gone up. So well, it's complicated, but it also has a lot of political ramifications. We know that in South Florida, the political ramifications of property insurance are far different than they are in, you know, inland Florida. So, I mean, it, it is a difficult issue. Here, here. Thank you, Jim, for recognizing that. <laughs> Moving on to, to automobile assignment of benefits reform and some of the windshield scams that are out there. Uh, We watched the Senate Banking and Insurance Committee where the 
bill that was designed to try to trim some of this windshield abuse uh, with respect to assignments of benefit. What is the press thinking? They think it's real. Um, I know on a Saturday morning, I've been in the parking lot and had somebody approach me about getting my windshield replaced. I politely declined. What What is the thinking in the uh, halls of the legislature? You think that bill's going to pass? Uh, Senator Stewart's bill fall on deaf ears? What do you think? I, I tend to think that there's a very live issue still. I mean, we saw this with the, the AOB bill last year on property insurance. The first version of it crashed in the, in the Senate Banking and Insurance Committee, primarily because Republican Senator Tom Lee raised objections to it. But you know, by the end of the session, a pretty far-reaching AOB bill had emerged from the House, gone over to the Senate, and passed out. So I don't think, you know, the fact that that the first version of this uh, bill had problems or got stuck in the Senate Banking Insurance Committee is going to be a death knell to it. I also think, you know, Linda Stewart is a Democrat, and I don't know that in the end that she would be the one pushing it through uh, a very Republican legislature. Mm-hmm. So I I think it's one of those things we're going to have to, to watch and see how it proceeds. Just judging on what happened last year with the property insurance AOB bill, uh, you know, the House is pretty aggressive about that issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of legislators still who would like to be aggressive on the windshield issue. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a very live issue at this point. I guess it's one of those things when you when you listen to these debates, you know, there's uh, there's issues about bad actors, really, in both sides of the industry. I mean, there there is there's discussion of abuse True. on both sides. True. So where where is the where is the uh, the point that it solves the issue of uh, prevents abuses, hold down the rates. But, uh, you know, it also prevents abuse on both sides. Well, I got a call from a consumer last week. They had a sixty four dollar windshield replacement. The insurance company automatically paid their $60 fee, the $4 difference is now the subject of a lawsuit. (laughs) And the consumer sent me the letter they got from their insurance company with a copy of the letter from the lawyer. So it is insane, make no mistake. Let's move on that then. Um, You know, litigation reform, bad faith reform. You know, you think about uh, Senator Pasadomo, she's led that charge, she's not been successful. There's a balance between consumer protection and litigation insanity. And I think what we see, just like I was talking about this last case, $4 and there's a lawsuit involved, I wonder if the legislature will ever get to that point. What do you think on bad faith reform? Is this the year? Is it next year? What do you think? Well, you know, bad faith uh, bills have been filed every year for at least the you know past several years i mean it's been it's come up again and again and again and Mm -hmm. it's never gotten a whole lot of traction so from that standpoint um i would be rather doubtful it's there's something's going to emerge even with the governor remember the governor held that press conference out in front of the senate with the u.s chamber saying it's impeding his efforts you know this litigation uh, factory, these factories of lawsuits is impeding his ability to bring economic development to Florida because we get tarnished with that. Do you think that will have any effect at all? Well, I can tell you, we had a inter- lengthy interview with Senate President Bill Galvano last month. Uh, our news service staff did. And I did not get the sense from him that he has much appetite at all for, for tort issues. Okay. Uh, you know, we did not go into detail about bad faith per se, 
But uh, I would be surprised if, it, if something like that would emerge from the Senate. I don't doubt that the governor and the House would be amenable to it. You know, the other thing that's just sort of interesting to me is that the Florida Supreme Court has completely changed over the last mm-hmm. year. Uh, the, the old court was very... Um, they were not friendly to insurance companies. Let's put it that way. That's, that's, that's my uh, diplomatic way mm-hmm. to put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the new court will be more friendly on those sorts of tort issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if a bad faith issue, if bad faith issues ever, you know, percolate uh, up, percolate up to the Supreme Court. I think the Supreme Court will be more friendly to uh, the insurance industry than 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 it has been in the past. You know, there's a lot of cases out there and a lot of different insurance is- issues. I mean, you name it, there's insurance issues that... that Everything that, runs back to uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, so from that standpoint, the, the just sort of the, the landscape in Florida has changed a little bit. Well, not more, not a little bit, a lot over the last year. You know, I think about that Supreme Court prior to Governor DeSantis, and we talk about insurance company friendly. But when you look at what these rate requests are going to be, in fact, I got word that another company has put in for a 28% rate increase request. And you talk to some of the executives of that company when that becomes um, full circle, they attribute about 60% of that rate increase request to, to legal expenses and legal fees. And one of the driving forces of those fees is a case back in 2017 where the Supreme Court said that insurance was complicated and therefore trial lawyers that take, plaintiff lawyers that take those cases should be compensated two and three times. It's called a multiplier. Right. And I think that Supreme Court case more than any other case is driving some of these, you know, you see a claim or a judgment for $10,000, but you'll see a fee award for, you know, 150, 200, sometimes $300,000. So until rates go up, until legislators' phones are ringing off the hook because of it, we probably won't see much this session. But I think we're just we're beginning to see these rate increases, and they're going to go up. Let's let's move on then to um, Hurricane Michael. What's going on over there? Uh, in fact, I got a call. Uh, see, we're here middle of the week. It would have been late last week, where a consumer was calling me and had a flyer on their door. People were canvassing the neighborhoods saying I can get you more money from your insurance company. Uh, don't know if you spent any time in the panhandle or had relatives that were damaged, had damage over there, but what are you hearing about Hurricane Michael rebuilding over there? You see a little of this and that, but but what's your thinking about that? Well, fortunately, I didn't have any family over there or any property or anything myself. So, you know, from my personal standpoint, mm-hmm. that was fortunate. But mm-hmm. um, I did happen to drive through Panama City right after Thanksgiving, and uh you know, it was surprising to me how much damage is still out there in in the city. Um, I've driven more in the rural areas, and you see it really out there. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of a uh, lot of a lot of people still suffering out there. Um, there already have been a lot of bills filed uh, related to trying to provide relief to the community, help continue providing relief to the communities out there. All sorts of infrastructure types of things schools uh Mm -hmm. it's another one they're trying to get some additional money for schools Mm -hmm. that have been damaged i'm not really sure what's going to happen with with those with those budget you know types of proposals Mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of demands on the budget this year you know i think if you listen to some of the folks out in the panhandle they're kind of worried they're just being forgotten at this point uh and that uh geographically it was uh in a part of the state that's relatively other than panama city is relatively rural and sparsely populated and 
I think it doesn't affect a lot of legislators personally. Uh, and I think in some ways it's sort of easier to move uh, on to something move else. on to other issues. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I am not really sure how much uh, traction any of the Michael issues will, will get this year. Y- you can bet that, uh, you know, Jay Trumbull out in Panama City and uh, – uh, Jason Schoff and Bill Monford and you know some of those and uh, George Gaynor some of those legislators who who Brad Drake whose whose districts really got whacked by the storm are going to keep up the pressure but I think it's a little too early to really know uh, whether this is going to be a, have enough of a priority in the legislature for a lot to happen and a lot of those homes were built to a building code that wasn't as strong as Miami so moving on to how we rebuild and what the building codes should look like there are those that believe that those that will be rebuilt in Hurricane Michael will be built to a code that was better than they were built back in the 60s. But there are also those that believe that that code over there should be as strong as the Miami code. And people that are supporting that have blinders on. It doesn't matter. It should be a strong one code throughout the state. And then there's a faction that says, well, people can't afford that. So I wonder if there is a mood among our legislators to even touch that. I know Senator Albritton has a building code bill out there. Do you think there's any appetite to f- force a building code that would be stronger? You know, because we know the advantages. You went through a lot of this with the 04 and 05 storms. The stronger the code, the less the damage. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we have uh, some personal friends who have a place in Cape Sandblast, and it was built, it's a relatively new, and I, I talked to them, and you know they did have some water intrusion and stuff but in terms of their their home it survived mm-hmm. and there's a whole lot of other stuff out there that didn't survive so mm-hmm. i think from that standpoint the newer construction techniques and codes and so on have proven that they work generally i remember back when the when the statewide building code was rewritten back in it was probably around 2001 2000 mm-hmm. somewhere in that range mm-hmm. It is a very complicated animal. I mean, this is this is not stuff for the faint-hearted <laughs> in terms of it's politically difficult, but it's also technically very difficult. Mm-hmm. So whether that's going to become a priority for the legislative leadership to really dig into this year, I'm not sure. I, don't, I, I wonder uh, myself. I think they've got so many other competing interests, and they just think the building commission is going to take care of it, or the builders are going to take care of it, and they can just move on to something else. I think you're right. I really do. Do you do you see? Speaking of the legislators, the Senate and House members, when you are talking to members, do you see any of them that even think in terms of like we did back in the you know 2006, 2007, stronger the code, light, you know, making losses. Uh, fewer and fewer. Do you see anybody talking about? I don't see much discussion about. You know, I, I about don't. It. Right after Michael, you know, there was some discussion of the the so-called panhandle carve out. You know, I mean, right. I, I, you know, there was some discussion of it then, but I haven't really heard much lately about mm-hmm. it. I do know that Senator Albritton filed this bill, but uh, I I don't see it rising up. You know, I don't hear anybody shouting that we need to do the building code you know right, or right. do stuff with the building code so right. so i'm just not that's I'm, why i'm i'm sort of take a wait and see on that one i just don't really have a feel that it's going to be a priority I at this don't point. once they get into it it could take up time and, and, and they don't have it and they don't have it <laughs> let's move on to um, education and, and transportation you know the governor's come out and said he wants raises for teachers he, um, Senate President Galvano, last year pushed for three new uh, toll roads. 
you know, infrastructure, education, all goes into the governor's economic development agenda. What do you think the legislature is going to do with his pay raises? And do you think they're going to continue to fund the uh, new toll roads with the environmentalists saying we don't like it? I think yes and yes. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, I, I mean, the, the, the pay raises is, is more complicated to me because, for one thing, just f- flat out, it's a lot of money. I mean, it's $600 million to, to increase minimum teacher salaries to 47500 which is what the governor's proposing. Then he wants $300 million on top of that for teacher bon- and principal bonuses. So we're looking at $900 million. That's a lot of money, no matter in a good year, bad year, or indifferent year. That's a lot of money. Um, there's also some issues that, that Senator Galvano and other legislators are having some heartburn with. Uh, in Florida, teacher salaries have always been negotiated, at least in recent decades, have always been negotiated on the local level. Now the legislature would come in and say, this is what it is. Uh, senators, Some senators, particularly including Galvano, seem to have some real concern about moving in that direction. The other thing is setting a minimum salary of $47,500 it's it has very different effects in different parts of the state. We've already seen some Miami-Dade legislators, uh, including Anna Terry Flores, raising concerns that this plan wouldn't help Miami-Dade that much wow. because their salaries are already, teacher salaries are already higher. If you look at, uh, there is a uh, distribution that, that the governor's office has put out. There are rural counties where it will do wonders for those sal- salaries in those areas mm-hmm. because they're all they're pretty low but you know in miami-dade and, and broward a lot of teachers already make more money than that so it's more complicated than than just like setting a floor and mm-hmm. but uh with all that said the governor has made that his top priority i think for mm-hmm. this session mm-hmm. and he's going to walk away with something now whether it looks exactly like that or it's tweaked a little bit it's too early to tell on that, but but they're going to give the governor a win on that. He wants it. It's going to be popular, too. I mean, people generally like their teachers. They do. <laughs> you know, in, in fact, that brings up the issue of criminal justice reform. You know, Senator Brandis has led that year after year. Mm-hmm. His motto is that we should have prisoners come out better than they go in. And the discussion uh, over coffee with several uh, policymakers and just politicos in general, about a week ago I was having – they said, Lisa, when it comes down to giving a teacher pay raise or providing education to the prisons, where do you think that money's going to go? Uh, do you think this is the year for Brandis? I mean, he has filed a ton of bills on sentencing and, you know, education reform in the prisons and making the facilities better. And, you know, what do you think? Secretary Mark Inch is doing his best at Department of Corrections, and we pray for him daily. Well, I was going to say, there, there there are some really big picture issues and uh, bigger big structural issues in the prison system too i mean health care salaries for employees uh uh, no education no teachers in those prisons right you know prison facilities in bad shape so Mm -hmm. there's all sorts of issues there uh and then you mix in the sentencing reform with that you know last year they did pass some sentencing reform but it went nowhere near what senator brandis and some of his you know allies Mm -hmm. really wanted I mean, I'm a little skeptical, uh, honestly, uh, that that a significant package is going to pass. There may be some things that pass. I mean, you know, the other issue that's sort of interesting with that is that, I mean, Brandis is a conservative. And, you know, there's groups like Americans for Prosperity that are behind these sentencing reforms. It's not just who you might have thought in the past, which was liberal groups or, Mm -hmm. you know, civil liberties groups and stuff. It's sort of an interesting coalition. 
but it's also an election year and nobody wants to be portrayed as soft on crime and you know there's always that potential with with that issue that if you're doing something to help certain right. prisoners that you're going to be painted with that brush and i think people are kind of skittish going to be skittish about that but here's a connection that i'm not sure everyone's thought about the unemployment rate in florida and the country is lower than it's ever been practically the talent behind the prison walls no one knows what's there and i believe senator brandis wants and i've heard him talk in presentations that the future of employment rests to a large degree in the prison system so his very smart to promote the governor's economic development agenda you got to have talent and employees to fuel that economic development and these companies that he's bringing into the state. So that may be a, a um, I don't know, you want to call it a strategy of Senator Brandis and his allies. Look, we're helping economic development by getting these prisoners trained. Because from what I gather, a lot of them don't have a lot to do during the day, and that's not productive. Well, I think, I think it's almost self-evident there's a lot of untapped potential there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll have but, to wait and see. Well, I think right. we have to wait, wait, wait and, and see, see politically whether that's going to I know it. Uh, I'll, we'll all be watching that through. one, too. Um, drug importation. Mm-hmm. We saw the governor this week, um, or maybe late last week. There are two sides of that. I, I saw some groups out in the in the ecosystem talk about the um, lack of, of uh, you know, safeguards for some of these drugs that are coming in. I've, you know, you've covered this. Several of your peers have covered this. What are your thoughts about this? You know, it sounds really sexy to talk about bringing in drugs from other countries because it's cheaper, faster, better. What do you think? I, I think a lot of questions remain about it mm-hmm. personally uh, in terms of whether it will be put in place with the federal government. I know the Trump administration has, has rolled out some proposed rules so that it would start. They're trying to move forward with it. But, uh, you know, the pharmaceutical industry can also challenge those rules, I assume, mm-hmm. uh, which could kind of bottle things up. And, uh, you know, it's a te- very technical issue. Obviously, there's a lot of money involved in this issue. You know, the other thing, if you read some of the things from officials in Canada, they're not don't seem too crazy about it ah, either. Okay. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of questions about it. I mean, I think everybody wants lower prescription drug prices and realizes that it's a it's a pocketbook issue for everybody, yes. but but I think it's got a long ways to go before it actually would be taking effect. Who are the legislators, and I've not tracked it like I should, that are the, is this, uh, Senator Harrell, the, she's chairman of uh, Senate Healthcare, who do we can you think of who the well you know the, the really the key legislator on this issue was house speaker jose oliva yes, I mean, he yes. jumped on board from day one with mm-hmm. with uh, governor DeSantis, and mm-hmm. and you know speaker oliva uh, in fact we had a story um, just yesterday mm-hmm. with him his priority is to redo healthcare. the healthcare system and try to drive down costs in whatever way he can. But I'm not sure at this point that it's a legislative issue as much as it is a, a, a Washington issue and a and a really an administrative issue, if you will, or a regulatory issue. As opposed to, I think the legislature's done what it's going to do on that. And we'll see what happens with the agencies uh, throughout. One last thing is the governor's push for $625 million for water improvement, water mm-hmm. quality, and environment. You know, so we got $900 million in teacher education, and, uh, you know, another hundreds of millions in transportation, $625 million for environment. 
you know, you think the money's all going to be there, and where do you think it'll shake out at the end of the day? Well, I feel the same way about the the environment. His environmental proposals, I do as the teacher pay, is that he's made that top priority, and I think uh, you know the legislature will get him what he wants on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is that uh, I, I've said this in other forums like this, but you know, if you really look at where a lot of the water problems are, they are in very Republican areas. They are uh-huh. in. They are in Martin County. They are in Lee County. They are in Sarasota County. They are in, and I think the governor and a lot of the Republican leadership, this is an issue that they can't just ignore. Right. And and it's a serious issue. I mean, set aside the politics, it's a serious issue when you've got algae and red tide and stuff. But also from a political standpoint, I don't think they want to ignore this issue. You raise a good point about all these different demands that are big ticket items, but I also have seen them miraculously find money for things in the past that it all sort of works out in the end. Call the trust fund sweet. Well, that, Jim, that's a wrap. I really cannot thank you enough. You know, you and your colleagues at the News Service of Florida, I'm a loyal subscriber. I will continue that. I encourage all the listeners, if you are not familiar with the News Service of Florida, you go on their website, subscribe. Uh, I get at least three or four emails a day, hot topics, things that are coming out, and it really helps me uh, do my work and in my advocacy. So, Jim, thank you for joining us today. Well, well thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy New Year to you, yeah, and we'll you be too. back on uh, again. I'll see you on the trail. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. As you heard today, there are many important issues that will be debated in the upcoming legislative session that begins January 14th, just around the corner. We'll be following this very closely. Issues of claims litigation and others, including education, transportation, all the things that affect typically the insurance marketplace. And I often say that most issues, you can trace it back to insurance in some way, shape, or form. In our podcast show notes, we'll have the link to our dedicated assignment of benefits webpage loaded with official data and the personal stories of those insurance consumers who suffered through that. We can also point your eyes to other topics if you have an interest, if you'll just let us know by contacting us and tell us that you are interested in some of these other topics that may not be so insurance focused. We'll have a link to the New Service of Florida website along with a summary of our conversation with Jim Saunders today and we're so thrilled to have him. So um, we take all the good notes so you don't have to. We want you to subscribe and like our podcast and share it with your peers and colleagues on your own social media platforms. And I want to thank those of you who read our newsletter when it comes out on Monday mornings. I heard from probably close to 100 of you yesterday that were quite interested in some of the things that we had in this past edition. So tell us what you think, and I want to hear from you. You can certainly uh, call us at 850-388-8002. That's 850 850- Three eight 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 zero zero two, and 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 leave a message, or just shoot me an email. Many of you do that regularly. It's Lisa Miller, all one word, at lisamillerassociates.com. And so that wraps another Florida Insurance Roundup today. And I appreciate you being a part of it. And remember, at Lisa Miller Associates, we've got a passion for policy and client success. I'm Lisa Miller, and until next time, be safe. Happy New Year. This has been Lisa Miller and Associates' Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. For more information on today's program, please visit us on the web at www.lisamillerassociates.com.